Welcome to the Building Excellence Podcast. I'm your host, Bailey Miles. The Building Excellence Podcast is all about sharing inspiring stories from some of the most successful athletes, coaches, business minds, and thought leaders to help you build excellence in your life, leadership, and legacy. We hope this show provides you with tremendous value. If you find the show impactful, please share with a friend and on social media, as well as subscribe and leave us a review on iTunes. We would greatly appreciate it. Thanks. Now let's get to the show and start building excellence in your life, leadership, and legacy. So I've got a friend of mine, Gabe Sherman, who uh, has been doing some amazing things in the last couple of years. Really awesome. I'm really excited to have you on the show, Gabe. So thanks for coming on Building Excellence. Um, hey, you bet. Glad to be here. Yeah. Well, one of the things we want to talk about with you is a little bit about your upbringing. Like, where did that... Where did you uh, grow up and were your parents influential in your life and what were the, the things that kind of led you to where you are? Yeah, so I grew up in Vertigris, Oklahoma, uh, which a lot of people don't know. And a lot of people know, well, isn't that close to Claremore or something like that? So, uh, so yeah, so that's, that was home. And, and my mom and dad are incredible. Uh, my dad was, he worked at American Airlines for 35, almost 35 years. He just retired this, this year. And he made a decision back in 1986 um, whenever the economy was really tough and, and we lived in Washington state and he decided he'd leave family, move all the way across country and take a job at American airlines. And uh, man, that, that was a game changer. I mean, it shaped the rest of our lives. And so hardworking guy, um, believe there's only one way to do things and that's the right way. And uh, I know your dad's like that as well. Yeah. And, uh, and my mom, just a, an amazing mom and I got to watch her put herself through nursing school as I was in high school. And uh, so my parents are great and they invested heavily in us and worked incredibly hard. Kind of gave me a, a great example for what to strive for, you know, as a, as a now husband and father. Sure. Yeah. And you grew you grew up playing some sports. Uh, what did you play and, and how did those play a role in your life? Yeah. I, anything that I could, to be honest, is what I played. Uh, with the exception of golf, I, being left-handed, nobody could find me left-handed golf club. So that just wasn't my thing until later in life. Uh, but I, uh, baseball, baseball quickly kind of rose above everything else in high school. I played baseball, basketball, and football. And, uh, and then by the time I got to my senior year, it was, I just was focused on baseball. So they, I was pretty convinced that, you know, no matter where I went to college, it was going to be on a scholarship and, yeah. And uh, fortunately, I got that opportunity. So baseball was my thing. Uh, but I'll tell you, growing up playing team sports and, and playing competitive at a, at a pretty competitive level, it really shapes you, right? I mean, and you know that just with your background. It really shapes the way that you see people, shapes the way that you see how things get done. Mm-hmm. And uh, and just had a, a tremendous impact on my life. So I was very fortunate that I got to play as much baseball as I did and got to go to college and do it as well. Yeah, well, what was the recruiting process like for you? It was really interesting. You know, I was, I didn't know what to expect, right? My dad played college baseball, but he, it was at a small school up in Washington State, and so we really didn't know how that was all going to shake out. And you start getting letters, you know, your sophomore year, and people start calling and, and coming and seeing you play. And I'll never forget, I went to, I ended up going to a junior college first before I went on to a, another university. And I had multiple different, showcase events in my senior year where I went on visits and, and, and kind of worked out at different places. And I remember going to uh, Independence Community College in Kansas with three of my other buddies from, from my team. 
and we walked around campus. We met the coaches, good good guys. And I thought, you know, this is this is probably not where I'm going to end up. I'm probably going to end up, you know, at this other place or over here. So I didn't think much about it um, after that. And then, sure enough, you know, three or four of my buddies signed, and so I was like, well, it seems like the thing to do. So we all ended up there together, which was uh, which was pretty unique. I think we had. From our, our senior year, we had six or seven guys that went on to play ball, and four of us went to the same school. So, so it was fun. Yeah, and then you transitioned from JUCO to Eastern. I mean, East uh, Central down in Ada. Yeah. And how did you wind up there? You know, it was funny. I, I played my freshman year. I, I I didn't have a really good freshman year there at Independence. Um, you know, we we can talk a lot about priorities, and my priorities were not right. Um, you know, that freshman year, so I was not. I probably I didn't work as hard as I needed to. And so I came out of my freshman year and I went to the Pacific Coast League up in the Northwest and went and played um, a summer wood bat league up there with a bunch of really good players. Had a great summer, um, looked at, at staying up there and playing for a couple different schools and then came back. And whenever I got back, I thought, you know, I, th- I think I'm done. I think I'm done with baseball. I think, I think I've done enough. And, uh, you know, I, I, think th- I think this is it. So I got home, I talked to my dad, and I said, look, I, I think I'm just going to, I think I'm done. I'm going to stay home and go to college here at Roger State University. And so I, he did not like that decision. Uh, and so we, we talked through it. I ended up going to, to Roger State. And it was funny, like uh, about two months into my school year there, I got, a, I got a phone call from East Central's head coach and said, hey, I've been talking to some other high school coaches, and uh, one of them coaches your brothers. And and then they said that you, you still need to be playing baseball. We'd love you to come down here and, and play at East Central. So um, one thing led to another. And I, I walked up to the baseball field on my first trip down to East Central and I was watching the team kind of take BP and, and field ground balls. And at third base, I saw one of my best buddies that I had, I had lost, connect, lost lock with, lost connection with um, after we left high school. I knew we went on to play ball. I just couldn't remember where. And I saw him taking, taking ground balls at third base, and I thought, okay, this is going to work. Like, if, if this guy is here um, and he's as good a guy as I know he is and a great player, then this will work. And so, uh, so we went to East, East Central and, and had a good time there. Yeah. So whenever you were transitioning about maybe just going to Roger State, was that a tough decision just to think I'm going to let, let go of baseball and kind of focus on academics? Yeah, it was a tough decision because I, I – was convinced for the longest time that I was going to play baseball forever, right? Like we all are uh, whenever we're growing up. And so then, but it was the best decision I could have ever made, to be honest. Mm -hmm. It was a time for me. It was a a semester for me to refocus on some things that I had completely, you know, kind of probably just set aside in my life. Faith being probably the biggest one. Mm -hmm. Uh, Whenever I got back home, I was able to, to get back into my church and, and really, get focused on being a better person. Um, and, and that kind of changed my whole outlook whenever I showed up at East Central. I was, I was just a different person. I was a different person physically and mentally and spiritually. And I needed that, that time. I didn't realize it at the time, mm-hmm. but that, that was a pivotal, a pivotal five months for me um, in the rest of my college career. So it was, it was much needed. I didn't know it at the time, uh, why, why I was, felt like I was done playing ball, but um, looking back on it, it makes perfect sense. And so as, as things often do, right? Uh, but, but that was, uh, it was a, a really important five months for me at home. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's awesome. So what about playing sports? What about some coaches? Do you have some coaches that were influential in your life when you were growing up playing sports and even into college? Yeah, so I, I, think, 
I was I was going through thinking about all the different teams that I played for, and two two come to mind. Two coaches. One is my dad, right? Like like that guy would work all day, and he had three boys at home. And when as soon as he got home, we wanted to do hit ground balls. We wanted him to throw us BP. We wanted to hit ground like whatever we could get him to do outside, we would take it. And so you know he'd be going to work at five a.m. He'd get home at three p.m. And as soon as he got home, it was time to go outside and play ball. And so he really instilled in us, number one, a work ethic, but a lot of the fundamentals that I think a lot of parents depend on their coaches to teach their kids once they get into, you know, competitive sports or team sports. Mm-hmm. My dad had taught me at home, and that made such a difference. Every way, er, everything from, you know, how you throw a ball to how you think about the game of baseball. And so that was that was a real blessing for me. So number one, I would say my dad was, was probably – the most influential coach in my life and he coached he coached me along the way um but then whenever i was playing the first time i really started playing competitive baseball uh, i had a coach his name was jerry mosley and so i had played a lot of rec ball and i made a transition over into competitive ball and, and that's that's a it's a different it's a different game even at 14 right it's a different game yeah. and he was he was hard on me and and i hadn't had, had a coach other than my dad that was ever hard on me yeah. or push me and I was used to excelling and being with a group of players that I was always the best player. Well, I got on this team and I wasn't always the best player. I was a, I was a very good player amongst other very good players. And so you, for the first time, I really needed somebody to push me. And Coach Mosley did that. And I played ball with his son and he went on to get drafted and, and play um, some minor league ball. And, but, but Coach Mosley was a, a very influential guy in my life. And I'll never forget, I had a in, in high school, we were playing against Booker T. Washington in a uh, in one of our regionals, uh, you know, trying trying to get to state. It was my junior year, and this the last ten games of that season, man, I just went into a terrible slump. And Coach Mosley was there because Bishop Kelly was in the same regional. He was watching, and I came off the field, and he met me, and and I just I just was I was pretty devastated. I had a bad game. It was the end of our season, and he just gave me a big hug. And he said, man, he said, I could tell it was rough for you out there, but keep your head up. You're going to be, you're going to be just fine. Mm-hmm. And uh, so little moments like that, but he was the first coach that really pushed me. And, uh, and that really made a difference in the way that I moved forward. So. In the moment though, did you like that at the time being pushed? Did you have the foresight to say, Hey, this is actually pretty good for me. This is what I need. Yeah. I, I questioned it at first, right? Like you, you kind of push back at first. Like what's this guy's problem? Like we're, I'm, I'm just playing baseball. You know, what, what is the deal here? And, you know, I quickly realized that his expectations were completely different than any other expectations a coach had put on me. He had seen me try out for the team. He had selected me to, to be a part. You know, they were big-time sponsors that were buying all of our stuff and paying for entry fees. And people are taking time off work to go travel with kids all over the place like so many parents are doing nowadays. And so the expectation is there's going to be a level of effort that's commensurate with the investment that people are putting in you, even at 14 years old. And so it, it was a little bit of a shock for me at first, but it was, the, it was so good because it just set the tone for so many other things down the road. Mm-hmm. And so, yes, it was, it was different. But look, you, you got to have coaches that are willing to get in your face and get after it and push a little bit. And, uh, and so I've, I've, had, I've had a few of those in my life that were, that were really good. Um, you know, there's a number of other ones that I could list, but just trying to think of one at, at a at a pivotal point, um, that that was one that that really stood out to me. 
Yeah. Often the moment you don't like having to go through those experiences, but when you have people that push expectations upon you higher than you, th you think you might be able to excel at, you always get better, but it's also sometimes looking back to really appreciate that and, and sometimes in the moment. So, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. You, you touched on your dad. So how did your dad play a role? He was also your coach. You know, you got to watch him go to work, come back home, uh, coach you, take you to practice. What, what was, uh, what were the things that he instilled in you? You touched on work ethic and whatnot, but what are the things that you saw on a daily basis that really made such an impact on you? growing up yeah you know I think going going outside of sports for just a second mm -hmm. you know my dad believes there's there's one way to do things and that's the right way right and so for us you know growing up at home you know that was just the standard that he kind of, he set you know we're, we're, we're Shermans we're gonna do things a certain way um, we're gonna be proud about the way that we do them and 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 for a lot of the time, I did I did a pretty good job with that. Other times, I didn't, um, and he let he let me know about it whenever I did it. Uh, but that also kind of carried over into into playing baseball. And you know, it was there's there's one way to play the game. And and I wish you know, looking back, I, I told I tell my my daughter now who I could, who I'm basically her coach. You know, for softball, you know, baseball is a game of failure. And, and so is softball. Softball is a game of failure. How, how do you handle your failures? If you can handle fail, failure well, you, you'll be very successful. If failure craters you, then you'll have a really difficult time. And my dad tried to instill that in me. And I wish I could say that mentally I was as tough as I needed to be, but that was always my struggle. Is, is I, I struggled with dealing with one failure leading to another failure leading to another failure. So slumps, and I'd get into a slump, it'd be four or five, six games, and then I finally get, just get tired of it, and I'd snap out of it. And I always admired, you know, my dad would bring me home. He'd be like, "Listen, man, you got to get your mind right. You got if you want to get out of this, you got to go up to the plate, believing you're going to hit the ball and get out of it. Um, until you do that, you're just going to struggle." And so he would always instill, "How are you handling failure? If you handle failure right, then you can play the game." And that was such a great lesson for me then. I, again, I wish I would have done an even better job of it throughout my baseball career. But once I got past baseball and started living life, like real life, man, that, that has been an invaluable lesson because mm -hmm. you're, you're going to face failure. The way that you respond to it is what matters. And, and I've always held on to that, that teaching and that coaching, you know, in that respect for sure. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So many, so many great lessons in there. But you, you go and you play uh, and, and baseball ends and now you're going into the real world. What uh, did you have an idea of what you wanted to do getting out of baseball and getting into work or what did that look like? Yeah, I w again, I wish I could say I had a great plan for that. I did not. Uh, you know, I had uh, I had a vision in, in college. I was going to was going to get a biology degree and then I was going to go into med school and I was going to do all of these things because that's what you believe you're supposed to do. And then I got into I got into to college and, and then I ended up kind of pursuing a different a different route in the medical field. And then clinicals uh, in college and baseball were too much of a clash, so I had to step away from that path. And then it was more of a, okay, well, let's finish up a biology degree. That's what we're closest to. I don't know what I'm going to do with it, but let's just try and finish it up. And uh, didn't finish that up before I left college. My, my wife got accepted into an optometry, um, optometry program, and we were getting married. And so it was like, okay, well, if we're getting married, then I'm going to go provide so that she can go to school. And so the first job I had out of college was uh, selling cars 
uh, I was a I was a car salesman, and I'll tell you, man, that'll that'll teach you life lessons really quick. Uh, yeah. Whenever you start going onto a car lot, dealing with people, and and starting to uh, to kind of figure out what that's all about. So I I didn't have a great a great plan, and so. But, but, you know, I look at where I've ended up and how things have shaped, how things have shaped up. That, looking back, that was okay, right? At the time, it didn't feel okay. It, didn't feel, it felt like, man, I, I've been told my whole life, I'm going to amount to something. I've got so many good natural abilities. God, I've got to do this. I've got so I felt all this pressure to have everything figured out as soon as I got into the workforce. And that's not the way things were playing out. And so early on in my career, that was a real struggle for me. Yeah, yeah. And that's what I think uh, what you just touched on having clarity when you get out, everyone feels like you have to have clarity on what you're going to do when you get out of college. And um, as we'll get to hear even more in your stories, things continue to build. Um, yeah. Even if you don't know, you just try to do the best job that you can at what you're doing. And uh, oftentimes things work out pretty well. So yeah. um, you were selling cars and then what do you transition to do out of that? Yeah. So I was selling cars and I was really, I was really good at it for about for about five months, I was really good at it, and then I started. I started realizing I don't really like selling cars that much, and uh, you know I need to provide for my family. But man, I'm just beat down by this every single day. And uh, so I, I had sold cars for about ten months at the time, and a buddy of mine's dad uh, called me and said, "Hey, I'd like you to come sell houses for me." He was a new construction home builder of all things, right? And so uh, he said, "I'd like you to come sell houses for me." I've got you know, I'm building houses, we've got a couple other builders, and we'd love you to be a part. So I went to selling houses. Well, I was selling houses, and I met a gentleman while I was selling houses that was the COO of, of the Camille's franchise system. And whenever I met him, I thought, man, this guy, I just need to be around this guy. Like he, he just knows what he's doing. He's, he, he's, he's speaking, like, life into me and hope into me. Um, he's got this tremendous, you know, business knowledge and understanding, understands sales and marketing at a level that I, I can't even process right now. I need to be around this guy. And uh, so I told him, I said, look, if you ever have a job, I, I, would, I would love to take it. And, and so he called me about, a, about two months later. I said, I have a job for you, but it's probably not the one you want. But if you, if you come on board, then we'll grow together. And so he put me in a cafe, a Camille's Cafe. Um, selling, selling sandwiches, man. I was a catering manager at Camille's. Uh -huh. And so you, you talk about that transition out of college and you're supposed to have it all figured out. Well, you, I think what happens to a lot of young people, and I fell right into this, into this challenge, was I'm, here I am selling food to people. Like I'm, I'm going into businesses and I'm selling food and, and trying, to, trying to sell a, a catered lunch, right? Well, I bump into other buddies of mine and they're, they're working at banks and they're doing this and they're doing that. And so you get into this comparison game of, well, here I am, I'm, I'm selling food. And all of these other people, they seem to be doing so well. They seem to have it all figured out. Mm -hmm. And it, it, took, it, it took a little bit of, of like, like really soul searching and, and sitting down with my mentor at the time there, Dr. Green, and I'm like, hey, man, I... Like, am I doing this wrong? And he, he just kept telling me, look, you are here to learn. Like, that's why you are here. And if you will just invest here and focus here, then you're going to grow and be able to have more opportunities. But if you keep thinking about all the other opportunities that are out there and chasing them and comparing yourself to other people, then things are going to get really difficult. And that, I needed to hear that. Like, that was real truth spoken into me by a mentor that said, look, quit that. 
like invest here, stay focused on where God has you, grow in this position and grow in these opportunities, and then watch what God does after that. And so that's, that's what happened. So I, I got really focused there and things really started to take off. And uh, so, yeah, then and I can go on about the career, but I, 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 I want to stop there and see if there's more you want me to jump in. Well, maybe, maybe touching on uh, the comparison, being young and seeing all your buddies being successful and, and their perception of being successful, right? How did you, what were the things that you did to try to keep you from um, comparing yourself to them after sitting down with your mentor, obviously, um, are there any specific things that you did to, to work on that through the process? Yeah, yeah absolutely. So I, I really had to, he, he helped me start thinking about what, what is it that I'm being shaped for and what are the opportunities that I have right around me that I, that I need to open my eyes to, right? So if I'm in this job right now, forget about everybody else and where God has them. Think about where you are and start asking yourself, what is God teaching you here? Like, what, what does he need you to see here? And what two things really stood out, uh, probably three things that really stood out to me. One was serving people. Like, I really needed to stop thinking about all of the other things and really focus on serving people. And there's no better place to serve people than in a restaurant, right? And so we start small, just serving people every day, whether that was customers or employees, didn't matter. Just get better at serving people, understanding people's needs and meeting them. So that was huge. The second part was leading people. You know, I had opportunities. The other opportunities that I'd had prior to that, I wasn't in a position of leadership. I was just showing up and, and doing work. Mm-hmm. Well, I had op- immediately on day one at this job, I had a team. I had people that I was expected to lead. So what I needed to do was shift my focus from, again, all the other outside stuff. And how do I, how do I lead these people effectively so that we accomplish bigger goals together than we otherwise would on our own? And so service was one, leading people was the other one. And then really starting to understand some things in the business world I was passionate about, specifically marketing and communications. Mm-hmm. And so I, I look back on that about two and a half, three year period there at Camille's. And I, I got an unpaid MBA from Dr. Steve Green, like in that time. And, and it has served me so well throughout my career. And I don't have a degree from it. I have some scars from it. You know, I have some hard work memories from it. but. Uh, man, I'll tell you, that was a, it was a game-changing couple of years for me. Um, learning to serve people better, learning how to lead a team and the responsibilities that come with it, and then really starting to understand where in the business world I was, I was passionate, and that, that was in the marketing communications area. Mm-hmm. And what about uh, Dr. Green? You said he was one of your mentors. How did mm-hmm. that connection pop up, and, and what did you do to kind of soak that, that time in with him? Yeah. So he was, he was the COO of Camille's, right? He was the guy that I met while I was selling houses. And the first thing that he told me whenever I started to, I should say the first thing he asked me whenever I asked him about coming to work for him, he says, well, what are you reading right now? And I said, what do you mean reading right now? I'm I'm trying to sell houses, man. What do you mean reading? He's like, no, okay, well, here's six books. Bring them back when you're done. And so I'm thinking, well, I got to impress this guy, right? So I need to really start reading these books. Um, yeah, so I start, I start diving in. And first one was uh, uh, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. Heavy. And, and so I start diving into books. And so then we get to, like, actually talking jobs. And I come to the books back. He's like, how many? He said, you didn't read all of them. I didn't read all of those books. But I read 
And uh, he said, well, if you come to work with me, um, that's going to have to change. And so like, it was one of those things where he, he made it a point as the CEO of that company. I would come to work. I had to be at the cafe at 7.30. Well, I would come to Camille's headquarters and be there at 6.45. I'd meet with him for about a half an hour every morning before I went down to the cafe. Then throughout the day, he and I would be in contact. And then in the evenings before I left, I'd usually recap the day and try and figure out what, you know, let him know what, what battles I was coming up against. So he just, he took me in a lot. And then he also took others in to where he was just investing in us day in and day out, building us up as, as professionals. So it was a combination of reading. It was a combination. One of the best things he ever did to me um, was, was to call me out for not having a plan for my day. Like, how are you going to do anything if you don't have a plan for your day? Mm. And so I started just simple things, reading every day, planning my days. And uh, those, mentors, those mentor sessions, mentorship sessions, and they just shaped who I was as a person in, in such a significant way. Um, but they're lessons that I use every day now. Now I read all the time. I, pl- I have a plan for my day. As you and I have discussed before, I have goals and visions and directions, things I want to go get done. Yeah. And uh, a lot of it stems from those early sessions with him. Yeah, that's awesome. So you go from Camille's and then you hop into uh, the Air and Space Museum. What was that like? How did that happen? And then uh, just tell us a little bit about that time real quick. Yeah. So I, I went from Camille's and I got into selling some advertising and, and whatever I was selling advertising, I got a phone call to go over to the Tulsa Air and Space Museum and this guy, Jim Bridenstine, had called and he was running the museum and he just, he wanted to buy some billboards. So I go over there to meet him and I spend a couple hours on a sales call with him and uh, just get to know this guy. And, and I start to realize like this, I re- there's just something about him, something, something different about him. Um, he's a Navy pilot. He's got all these degrees on his wall. You walk into his office and he's got a tail hook from, you know, from a plane from landing on aircraft carriers. And, but yet at the same time you walk around the museum, and he's just so engaging and he's uh, just a, just a, a rock star of a guy. And uh, so I just knew there was something different about him. Well, about, about two weeks after our first meeting, he hadn't bought billboards at the time. But so I was still working that, right? I thought every call he was going to make, he was going to buy something. Yeah. Um, but he called me like two weeks later and said, hey, I, I need a marketing director out here. And we talked back and forth for about a month. And then I ended up taking a job out there with him and uh, kind of capturing his vision for what the Tulsa Air and Space Museum could be. And we went on this run to try and do some really big things out there at the museum. And uh, the guy had incredible, incredible vision. And so we, we did the museum thing. We accomplished some really big stuff out there, big air shows, and tried to just raise the level of awareness. But yeah. throughout that process, Jim was speaking all over the city of Tulsa. Every civic group we could get into, he was speaking. And the more he spoke, the more people would come up to me and to him afterwards and say, this guy needs to run for office. Jim Bridenstine needs to run for office. He needs to run for office. And so he really started praying through that. And before long, he came to me and was like, hey, I, I think I've, I've got to run for Congress. And uh, at the time, I was not very politically engaged. But we sat down. We did a, a morning devotional every morning at 730. And one morning, he sat me down, made me watch. I say made. He asked me. Uh, to watch this speech uh, by Ronald Reagan, A Time for Choosing. It's back in the 1960s on behalf of Barry Goldwater. And I listened to Ronald Reagan speak, and he, he said so many things that were so relevant to what we were experiencing at the time in our country. You know, this was 40-something years later. Mm-hmm. And uh, it just hit me. 
that this is a, an, an arena that I got to play in. So I started to get smart. And as Jim started to, to make the determination that he was going to run for Congress in 2012, uh, we, I, I jumped in and became the marketing, kind of the, the PR marketing guy in the, in the primary and the campaign manager in the general. And we were off and running. Yeah, yeah. What was the experience like actually running for Congress? Yeah, painful. Yeah. I'll tell you, painful. <laughs> you know, you, we were coming from a position, a very low name ID and no money. And we were taking on an incumbent Republican that had been in Congress for 11 years. And uh, so it was painful. And, and we worked incredibly hard. But I'll tell you, at the same time, we, we had worked so hard. I, I remember election day. So on election day, remember that story I told you about leaving college early and, and figuring that, you know, I, I needed to go provide. Well, I also got the bright idea that I needed to finish my degree, which is smart. Um, but I chose to finish it at the same time we were running a campaign and doing all these other things. Yeah. So on election day, I'm taking my last final to finish my degree and go. then running over to campaign headquarters after that. And I run over to campaign headquarters, you know, it's like two o'clock in the afternoon and Jim's sitting there and, and a number of our team members are sitting there and we just all are kind of looking at each other like, well, we've done everything we could do. Mm -hmm. There's, there's nothing else that we could have done. And we just had this moment of regardless of how tonight shakes out, mm -hmm. we've, we've won. Like we did exactly what we felt we were called to do. Yeah. We did it in an honorable way. Um, we were all exhausted, but we feel really good about the effort. I don't think any of us had these, these thoughts that it was, we were just, man, you know, election night returns were going to come in and we were going to walk away with this thing. We, we all knew that, that the odds were against us, but we felt good because we felt like we'd done everything the way we were supposed to for the right reasons. Mm -hmm. And so then you go into election night and we won and nobody saw it coming. And uh, I remember at three o'clock in the morning, still taking media phone calls from people that were trying to figure out, you know, what just happened in Oklahoma. And uh, that was an experience unlike, unlike any other man. And uh, kind of ca catapulted us into a general election that we had to win uh, to actually take the seat in Congress. And, uh, and from there, we, we spent five, almost five and a half years in, in the congressional office representing the people of Oklahoma's first district. Yeah, absolutely. And then, uh, you know, it's an amazing story also. So you didn't touch on, like, I think, you might have told me before that you guys spent way less money than anyone mm -hmm. had before and still won. And that's just a kind of a, a testament to persistence and hard work like you talked about and having at the end of the day, that feeling like, Hey, we did the best that we could with what we had and we gave it. Right. And um, that's a, that's a great place to be at for everyone. You know, if you can be at that point, what else can you do? You know? That's right. um, so that's a, a really cool point also in, in regards to that. So, the last couple of years, you've been serving uh, as the chief of staff of NASA. Mm -hmm. And what has that experience been like, especially for someone who didn't know what they were going to do out of college? Uh, you know, you go into selling cars and now you're literally uh, working on putting a guy in the moon, you know, or, to, I mean, or whatever it is. Like, it, it doesn't make any sense, right? It uh, makes zero sense, baby. Uh, um, but, but I'll tell you, so before I tell you about NASA, there were, there were moments at NASA where I thought about what, how I was feeling when I was selling cars or how I was feeling early on in my career or how I was feeling about selling food. You know, when, when I was seeing my, my other peers out doing what I thought were bigger and better things. And, and whenever you have that, whenever you're able to sit down and just look back 
and saying, how has, how has every experience I've had culminated in, in, in this new opportunity where I'm, where I'm at today? In the moment, it never, makes, it never makes sense, right? You can never see it as well as, as you want to. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I, th- I think that's the beauty of, of God's plan, right? His ways are higher and, and better than ours. And we're trying to figure everything out and see things like he does in the moment. And he a big picture. And what he's saying is, let me prepare you and equip you so that when you get to this next opportunity, you're going to be ready. And so there were moments at NASA where things would happen, and I would look back at my career and think, wow. I did not see that at the time, mm-hmm. but here I am. And every, every step mattered, right? And so you, you look back on your life and, and, and you're in a moment where now you're the chief of staff sitting at NASA, the world's leading you know, space agency, and doing things like you said, building the next program to send the first woman and the next man to the moon. Like, like these are huge things. They're civilization changing things. They're historical things. And, you know, there was a time where I was just trying to sell a wrap and a sandwich to people, right? Yeah. Um, it's, not, it's not about, wow, look how far Gabe's come. It's look at the plan that God had and how he used every one of those experiences. That mentorship, two and a half years I had at Camille's, learning how to be a better marketer and communicator, uh, empowered me to, to build, that, build on my career to a spot where, as the chief of staff at NASA, I could lead strategic communications for the entire agency. And, you know, you're talking about 17,000 people and a $23 billion budget. Mm-hmm. You know, again, I got a lot of the foundational experience selling sandwiches. Like, that's not the way that you think about, you know, what, what's it going to take to get me to NASA? Um, so clearly, I got there in, a, in, a, in an unorthodox way. But, man, you, you go into those experiences and it just becomes so clear that God has been orchestrating everything for certain moments and that each one of those steps matters. And, uh, and that's why whenever I'm sitting down with people, I always want them to understand you're, you're, you're right where God has you for a very specific purpose and, and for a very specific moment. And that our job is to not get past that moment to the next thing. Our job is to get the most out of that moment so we're prepared for the next thing. And, uh, and that became very clear to me at NASA. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, so then I got to be the chief of staff at NASA. Um, I started as the deputy chief of staff. It was, I was the deputy chief for the first year and a half and then moved into the chief of staff role. And uh, it was incredible, man. I mean, you, you're working with some of the best people on the face of the planet. You're making decisions on any given day that are, that are, fact, that are impacting foreign policy, that are, in, that are dealing with, with the White House, dealing with the Office of Management and Budget, um, where you're, you're helping guide strategy to, to build consensus. You know, one of the things that we were really good at was building bipartisan consensus around the initiatives that we had. So every day we were thinking strategically about what international partnership do we need to build? What um, congressional partnership do we need to build? Who do we need to engage in industry to help us you know, move these objectives forward? And so you're, you're having to think about so many different things in any one day um, that, that at times, like looking back on it now, it's like, wow, man, how, I don't remember sleeping much during those last three years and now I know why. Right, because like we were just involved in, in so many things. Yeah, um, but it was it was an incredible, incredible experience. Well, and not only that, but within the last you know year and a half, two years, we've had COVID. We've had a lot of tension from uh, different parties, and obviously racial tension. And so, you've been in office having to deal with that. Not only that, but also uh, getting into office during some of those times. Um, 
there's one thing I did want to touch on is that I think when you were trying to make the decision, if you were going to go or, or, or help, help out Jim, um, you were trying to figure out normally people I think would say, okay, I'm going, it's NASA. I'm going to go. But yeah. I think you had the foresight to sit there. We've got a good friend, uh, Dave Jewett, that yeah. um, has a, a program called Your One Degree. And it helps you identify some of the, the key uh, personality traits, gifts, and talents that you have. And so I remember talking with you a little bit about, you know, you were trying to, to think about how you're designed and then how the job might be for you going into NASA and if that would be a good fit. Um, yeah. I think that really shows a lot of wisdom and foresight to be able to think that through before and just saying, Hey, I'm going anyway, no matter what. Um, yeah. Yeah. No, that was really, it was really a, a pivotal, a pivotal moment for me. Like we had, I, I've been blessed to have some tremendous mentors in my life. Dr. Green being one, uh, Dave Jewett being another and God brought him into my life at, at the perfect moment uh, to help me navigate a decision like that, you know, to, to actually walk things out, as we were still in the congressional office looking at making that decision and to, to really not just, like you said, not just accept the fact that we're going to NASA, but to think about number one and pray through, are we even going to get that opportunity? And if we get that opportunity uh, is, is what the opportunity is and who I'm put together to be, are those in alignment? And so we, we worked through it. And you know, what, what came out of that was that I'm really equipped to do a few things. He calls them drivers, right? Um, and so strategizing, persuading, encouraging, developing, and communicating. Those are, those are the things that drive me. Uh, and that's the way that God, God designed me to live in those drivers, you know, as, as I go to work every day. And so, you know, the job that was put together for me whenever I started looking at it was strategic communications. It was leading a group of people that had, had no leadership at the time, um, trying to bring them together. So in, in leading people, I get to encourage and I get to develop. Um, it was strategic communication, so strategizing and communicating. Persuading, which we had to, had to go out and, and win an international support, political support, you know, work, internal support amongst the workforce. So all of these things that we needed to go do, I was, I was put together to go do. And... You know, whenever you have that understanding, you can look at a, a daunting task like, okay, what, what does it take to help lead, you know, the world's preeminent space agency? And you can look at it and say, okay, um, well, we can do these things. We can do them because we've been designed to do them, because we've done big things in the past. And it's not going to be easy. And, and I think anybody at NASA would, would attest that we never, we never thought we knew it all and we never uh, approached anybody in the, in the workforce with, you know, we've got it all figured out. We'll tell you what to do. I mean, we, we came in there very open-handed um, to win people and to cast vision and to, and to build relationships so we can move things forward. But you feel like, man, I'm, I'm equipped. I can go do these things. I can have confidence in going in and doing these things, even though I've never done them before, because yeah. I know how that put me together. And so that was a huge moment and a huge season of my life to get those things figured out before going to NASA. Mm-hmm. How do you balance that idea of, of having confidence knowing it's going to fit your design versus maybe stepping into something new? And did you have any uh, fear or self-doubt or uh, just thoughts of like uh, kind of uh, anxiety thinking about what it could be maybe? Yeah. Oh, yeah. You know, anytime you're even thinking about going to a place like NASA, you think, Why, what could I possibly add? Uh, like, is there any value I could ever add in a place like NASA, right? And so. 
Me and a buddy of mine, we we got a lot of information before we ever ever had a chance to work there. Where we started studying, kind of where where was NASA at? Where did NASA need to go? What are some of the challenges? And we started to think, and we so we printed out binders, and we had a ton of information that we had worked through, and we're writing all of these notes, and and so we were trying to equip ourselves, and maybe it was just an exercise to make each other feel better, like, hey man, we actually could go do some good things here. Yeah. Um, but I was cleaning out my office, you know, on you know the week before January twentieth, I was cleaning out my office, and I, I found that binder, right, that, that same binder that we were we were using in the congressional office. And, you know, I flipped through the pages and so many of the notes that we made were actually changes and opportunities that we did have at NASA. They were, they were places where we were actually able to take our skill set and, and make an impact. Mm. And, you know, seeing that come full circle was just such a, I mean, it was a humbling moment. It was an emotional moment sitting there in my office looking at that going, man, okay. God, you got a pretty tremendous plan, and you gave us some tremendous insight that while we thought, yeah, right, like we're ever going to be able to add value at NASA, well, the areas we thought we could, we did. And, uh, man, that's just a, just an incredible thing to, to realize on the back end of that. But, yeah, there was plenty of worry or fear or anxiety or, or self-doubt. Um, but you just work through it knowing that God, again, designed you for a purpose. Mm-hmm. And so you work through it. And you walk it, walk it out as confidently as you can. Yeah. Real quickly, because I know we won't honor your time, but um, what was it like? You know, you guys put, you actually had some missions that you went through. You led during COVID. Um, so there's lots of things going on. But what was it like just to be a part of some of those launches uh, behind the curtain with some of the astronauts, all these different people? Elon Musk was around quite a bit. What were yeah. those things like? And uh, was it pretty yeah. cool? First of all, I'll tell you, Humbling, right? Very, very humbling. Like you, we're, we're, we'll just take the last year. We'll take 2020, which was a, which was a rough year. But, you know, you think about 2020, you know, we, we returned, you know, human spaceflight to American soil on American rockets for the first time since 2011. We did that with uh, the Demo 2 mission, NASA SpaceX mission. You know, we also launched uh, Mars Perseverance. You know, we launched the Mars Perseverance mission um, which just recently landed successfully, you know, in the pandemic, and you know, put all of the just all of the other stressors and pressure that's on you just to be in that position. Put them aside for a second, and then bring in a pandemic and bring in a lot of social unrest and uh, just a lot of a lot of a lot of things people were never expecting that they were going to have to deal with, let alone trying to say to, to run NASA from people's living rooms across the country. Like, like it's just, there were just so many challenges uh, in that moment. And, and basically what, what it came down to for us to be successful throughout 2020 and, and even before then was just having a very strong and a very clear vision from, from leadership. Right. And I give a lot of credit to Jim Bridenstine. You know, when the pandemic hit, he came out early. Like he came out early and he said, we are going to make, every decision possible to keep our people safe. That's the number one priority. I'm not worried about missions. Let's get, let's get a plan in place and let's keep people safe. If we address safety first, then we'll have an opportunity to have a discussion about mission, but it's safety first and taking care of our people first. Mm-hmm. And so whenever, whenever that is the focus, then you earn the right to have a conversation about mission with your people during a pandemic. 
Mm-hmm. And so our people were able to feel that they, they were given the, 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 the guidance, the protection, the permission to say, I don't feel safe about this or I don't feel safe about that. And, and they were able to, to operate and work in an environment that, that nobody ever expected. But it was because we addressed safety and, and we put our people first that we were then able to have the opportunity to talk mission and deliver on some incredible things in 2020. You know, you think about uh, the, the Artemis program and the bipartisan, apolitical support that we now have, the international support that we have, the support amongst the agency that we have. That all came from Jim Bridenstine not saying, we're going to go to the moon, here's how, nobody get in our way. He said, we're going to go to the moon, we're going to go to the moon with our international partners, we're going to go to the moon sustainably, we're going to do things very different, and we're going to use the moon to get us to Mars. And so in those statements, he was addressing international concerns, political concerns, leadership concerns, and, and whenever you put a vision out there like that that people can rally around, what it does is it, it helps eliminate division and bring people together. And so what I saw in my time at NASA, more than anything, was just the power of strong, clear vision. And, you know, you read a lot. I read a lot. There's a lot of books on vision. But vision is always one of those intangible things, right? It's really tough to kind of wrap your arms around and say, how does that actually make an impact? Mm-hmm. And I saw it. Like, here's what we're going to do. Here's how we're going to do it. And now go execute. And whenever you can, whenever you can get strong vision and buy-in from the top, and permission to then go out and build and, and execute, you can accomplish a lot. And, and so we saw that in tremendous ways at NASA, and it's something that, that I'll hold on to for the rest of my career. Absolutely. Well, that's awesome. So you talk about preparation and vision. How do you apply that to your own life? What are some things that you do? Like, do you have a morning routine? Um, you have things that you kind of hone in on to give you some vision for your life and the trajectory that you want to be going on? And obviously, being open to what God puts in front of you, obviously, but kind of planning and having preparation for your life. What does that look like? Yeah. So I, I try, like you said, you gotta, you gotta leave space for God to, you can't, you can't plan God out of things, right? You, you have to uh, kind of start with him at the center and, and know that he's at the center and everything else revolves around him. Mm-hmm. And so the way that I work it is, and I've shared this with you before a, a little bit, you know, my, at the beginning of every year, I, I look across a few different areas of my life. And I set, I set annual goals, you know, faith, family, my finances, um, my fitness, and then I call it a fun category, right? Where I actually get to actually plan to have fun because I found that if I don't plan to do that, then it doesn't happen, right? Um, so across those areas. And so I, I, start, I, I, start, I start with faith and I go through, okay, um, from a service standpoint, what, is, what are the goals I want to accomplish this year? From a worship standpoint, from an outreach standpoint, from a prayer standpoint, I call it reflection, and then from a devotion standpoint. So I, I have a, a little acronym called SWORD that I've, I've built and I use for me, where I have goals across each one of those areas. And so I try and take those annual goals, the things that I want to work to, and then I try and break them down weekly, right? I try and break them down just a bite at a time and say, okay, what do I need to accomplish this week to put me closer to that, those big annual goals that I want to accomplish? And so my morning routines on Mondays are always planning, but it's always trying to take my big picture goals that I have for the year and break them down into my weekly goals that I need to get done. And so I, I plan across those same areas on a weekly basis as well. So I know that if I get to the end of the week 
and I've accomplished the goals that I've written down, I'm moving closer to those those annual, those yearly goals that I want to see achieved for my family or in my faith or in my finances. And so that that has been something that has served me really well. It helps me all the way back to, you know, the, the mentorship meetings I used to take at Camille's where, where Dr. Green's saying, how are you, if you can't plan your day, you can't do anything. Well, mm-hmm. this type of activity, it, it helps me plan my day. It gives purpose to the hours in my day. And so I'm able to look, to look across my week and know I'm going to get these things done. I'm going to plan them here. I'm going to make sure these things happen, whether it's going outside and spending extra time with my daughter on her softball or whether it's taking my wife on a date or whether it's making sure I have a devotion each morning. I'm going to have these goals that I'm knocking out each week. And if I do those things, then I'm probably going to be the man that I want to be because they all line up with, with kind of who I want to be. And it's going to, it's going to make sure the people that are most important in my life get the attention that they deserve, even though I'm trying to provide and I'm trying to do all the great things I need to do um, at a job to, to make sure we, we can sit down to a nice dinner. Every night, right. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think, I think you have to be willing. And, and I, again, had to have this taught to me. You got to be willing to take control of your, of your weeks, of your months, of your years. Um, otherwise you're going to, you're going to blow through them and you're going to wonder how, how come I'm not where I want to be or how come I'm not accomplishing what I want to in my life. And uh, so that, that's been a real game changer for me is, is, is just taking the time to block out goals, to plan. And what happens is we get so busy trying to, trying to live in the week that we often forget or don't take the time to plan. But if people can do that at the beginning of their week, man, it just sets you up for success. And so um, my Monday mornings are pretty much off limits. Like I don't talk to anybody. I don't schedule meetings. I don't do anything um, until, you know, about, about noon. And I get up real early. And so I try and spend that time um, just really thinking about and praying through my week so I can go out and execute for everybody's count on me. Yeah. Are you a naturally disciplined person, would you say? <laughs> just depends on what part of my life we're talking about. Yeah. Right? Um, early years, not so much. Now, yes. Um, you know, I've learned that discipline matters, right? Because I, because I lacked it um, in so many other areas of my life early on. And so, so yes, I would consider myself pretty disciplined. I was I was having lunch with a buddy earlier, and uh, he's chowing down on his uh, waffle fries from Chick Fil A, and I'm eating one or t- I'm eating two, and then I'm pushing the rest away. He's like, "What are you doing? How do you only eat two fries?" I'm like, "Bro, I don't want to work out harder later, okay? So I'm only going to eat two fries right now." Like it's that kind of weird discipline that I have from time to time. But uh, but no, man, it, it, discipline matters, right? You, you got to have it and. You got to be willing to get up early. You got to be willing to take the time to plan and do the things that you know are most important, so that you can achieve what you want to achieve. And if, yeah. without discipline, it all falls apart. Yeah, but it's something that you can learn, right? And yeah, it's not something that just because you may not feel like you're disciplined, you can definitely implement yeah. it. Yeah, no, I, and that's a that's a really good point, man. You, you, I was there was a period of my life where I was not disciplined, mm-hmm. right? Like I just wasn't, and. I, things change and you have mentors speak discipline into your life and you develop systems and processes to do it. So to, to let people know that it can be taught, it can be learned and it, it's something that it is uh, you can develop over time is really important. Yeah. And it's little baby steps too. We can often yeah. look at, you know, someone might be looking at you like, wow, he's so disciplined, but it was a series of events that you yeah. Intentionally made time to schedule to do these things for your fitness, your health, your family, your work, all that stuff, and it was intentionality that allowed you to do that. And little things yeah. they finally continually add up, kind of like uh, I don't know if you're Atomic Habits, but 
um, that kind of book, have it stacked. So anyway, real quick, uh, you know, I know family is really important to you. What does it mean to be a good father to your kids? Oh man. Um, to be present, number one, like, like I, I, with as busy as, as life is, um, you, you have to, you just have to make time to prioritize. They, they have to know that they're on your planner. They have to know that you're thinking about them just as much as anything else that you have going on in your life. And, you know, when I moved up here, we, we live about 30 miles outside of D.C., which in Oklahoma, getting 30 miles in Oklahoma takes about 35 minutes, right? Well, if you get in the D.C. metro area, getting 30, 30 miles can take you like two hours, um, especially going into D.C. in the morning. So my days here would start at 4.30, and, my, and they'd end, I'd get home, I'd get back in the door about 8 o'clock at night, right? And so it's very easy to, to, to kind of be so tired whenever you get home, and, and you've been up so long, and you've been doing all of these things, to not engage with your family whenever you get home. And so I, I made the determination, and I promised Amanda whenever we made the move, that no matter how difficult this job got, that, that they would be a priority. They would feel it and they'd know it. And so every week, you know, we, we, have, we have found time. We've been intentional about making sure that our kids get to spend great time with us, um, you know, and, and maybe more time with us than they even want at times. But, um, and we've, I've tried to just prioritize the things that are most important to them and be present um, day in and day out. And, uh, you know, my, my kiddos, Adelaide, my oldest, you know, she's, uh, she's 15. And I talked, and my, my youngest is 13. And so I talk to, to people all the time, and they ask me about my kids. And I say, I got two teenage girls. And they're like, oh, my gosh, I'm so sorry. Like, that's going to be, a t- you're going to be the most uncool guy in the world. And, I, and, and that's not the case for me. Maybe it's because I'm just really, really cool. Um, I doubt that that's, that that's it. But it's because my kiddos, like, we have a relationship where we genuinely love being around each other. Yeah. And, I'm blessed, man. Like my, my oldest will come in, Adelaide, she'll come in and say, Dad, you're awesome. Like you're, you're the coolest guy I know. Mm-hmm. Like, okay, I'm winning, right? Like I'm winning at that point. So what does it mean to, for you to be a good husband to your wife and how do you do that on a daily basis? Yeah. So with, with my kids, it's, it's about being present and engaged, right? With my wife, it's about prioritizing time. Like I understand my wife, like what's most important to her is time together. Right, that's if if you're familiar with the love languages, um, quality time is is the thing for her, and so that that's why I have to show her that right that no matter how busy I am, she's gonna have time like it like every week, every month we're gonna have time together, and even if it's even if it's just sitting down for forty five minutes in the evening on the couch when we're exhausted, um, it's about me not falling asleep on the couch because I'm exhausted right It's about being engaged in the, in those moments and so prioritizing time for her is the most important thing I can do. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, as a husband, you know, it's our, it's our job to, to lead our families, to grow our families, to build them up. Um, but I think it's also just, it's so important for us to just enjoy time with them and set aside time to where they see all the other things that you're doing in your life, but they know that they matter just as much, that they're on your calendar, that they're prioritized on a daily basis, just like work, just like everything else that you got to deal with. Um, and so being present and, and prioritizing time, man, have been two keys for me, um, with my kiddos and with my wife. Yeah, that's awesome. 
there was one thing that you told me a while back that I've tried to implement, but just a simple act of encouragement to your spouse, just yeah. a simple text, maybe a prayer or a verse or just a thought, say, I appreciate you or love you or something. Um, that can mean the world. And that's something that I've got on my little sword diagram that I've got for most yeah. stuff. That you yeah. about. I think that's no, it, it makes such a difference, you know, and, and back before the pandemic, you know, so, so my days were 4.30 to about 8 every day, and um, which means Amanda was carrying a lot of the load up here, right? I mean, she's, she's up with the kids in the morning, getting them off of school, and she's when they get home, and she's taking care of a lot of stuff. And so there'd, there'd just be moments throughout the day where I either call her or text her or anything else, um, leave a note for her at the house, and just let her know, like, I see it, right? I see it. And without her doing what she's doing, I couldn't do what I'm doing. And so we're, we're a team in the whole thing. And so just letting her know that I see that, that I'm aware of it, um, that she's working incredibly hard for our family and that it means the world to me. Uh, man, it just goes so far. So, Yeah. So what is, how do you define success? You know, it's funny. I, I read, or I, was, I should say, I, read, I was listening to John Maxwell speak here. This was probably um, three weeks ago now. And, uh, and he was talking about, you know, greatness was the thing that he was talking about. And he said that success is, you know, it's, it's looking at what you accomplish for yourself, right? Um, he said significance is thinking about, you know, what you accomplish for yourself and for others, right? And then he said greatness is about inspiring others to do great for themselves and for others, right? And so it was just this natural progress, progression. And I've always looked at success, you know, kind of um, – very, very personally, right? It's about what, what, what have I accomplished or, or what have I done? And I think as I've, as I've grown, success has moved from what, what have I done to what have I helped other people do, right? So what, as opposed to what, what is it about me to how many other people am I helping win? And so whenever I look at success, that's really the way that, that I define it is what type of an impact am I having on other people? Like how many other people are winning because of my investment in them or my coaching or my leadership um, or just my time or whatever, whatever that might be. I define my success through the success of others now. And that, that is um, very different from where I was at 25, 26, 27, where I was comparing what I, I'd done, what I was doing by job title and dollars and everything else to everybody else around me. Now it's more about who, who have I helped win today? Like if I'm helping other people win today, then I'm, I am successful. Um, you know, I was, I was working through kind of what to do after NASA, and I, I kept telling my wife, I said, I'm having this hard time because I don't really have a thing. You know, like, like I'm not a doctor, and I'm not, I'm not building homes. I'm not doing this. Like I don't really have a thing. Like I, I've always, it's always been about people for me. It's been about you know, going to work for Jim here or helping him over here or you know, following Dr. Green here. Like I'm, I'm – I've always been about people, so I don't really have a thing. Mm-hmm. And in a moment of what I think is just brilliant clarity, she, she said, Gabe, your thing is people. Like, that's your thing. It's, it's, not, it's, you don't have, it's not defined by your career. It's your thing is people. That's what you need to focus on. And, and so that, that just made so much sense to me. And so success for me is all about how many people am I helping win today? Who am I impacting today? Who am I making better today? Um, who am I helping solve a problem today? If I'm doing those things well, then I'm successful. Um, and that, and that's, that's kind of helped, again, a lot of my planning and focus and energy and everything else. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And giving, you talk about success is helping other people. 
Uh, I've heard you touch on giving. Um, you learned something early on from a mentor of yours about giving because you said maybe you wanted to you know, make a lot of money when you're younger, right? Yeah. And someone kind of flipped the script and said, hey, what you do now with what you have is going to enable you to do more later. So That's right. how has that shaped you as well from a giving perspective and giving back too? Yeah financially no that's that's great and so i i would tell you two things on on giving number one resource of time right and so i i look at it i had a i'm only where i am today because people have set aside time to invest in me right that's the only reason i'm i'm here um and the only reason i've had the success that i've had is because other people have invested in me and so number one is time how do i give my time back you can say, I'm going to wait till retirement when I have all kinds of time and then I'll give back my time. Or you can say, I'm going to start giving bits of my time now and, and maybe even give more whenever I get to retirement, right? And that's, that's true. So back to, that was David Edens who told me that back in Tulsa, another great mentor of mine, um, who said, look, Gabe, you can't wait till you have it all to give it away. Like, you need to start giving it away now. And so I started with time. Um, so how do I give away more of my time to people that need it? And so um, I don't, I don't mean that to sound self-serving, but time is one of those things that we all have a finite amount of and we're all holding on to it and, and every minute is important. But if somebody blocks out time for you, man, that's huge, especially if they're wanting to invest in you or, and, and help you grow and help you accomplish something. So time is, is the first thing that I've, I've learned to give back. Uh, money is, is great when you have it, right? To, to give whatever you can to, to who, whoever you can. And so some of my goals were, have been really simple. It's not been... I want to give away, you know, a hundred thousand dollars or tens of thousands of dollars. It's because um, there's there've been a lot of times in my career where I haven't had like much of any money to give away, right? And so it's been, um, who could I buy lunch for this week? Like, how could I bless somebody with a ten dollar lunch, or how could I bless somebody with a coffee, or how could I bless somebody with something just really simple? Um, and so I, I think sometimes we get hung up on the big gives. Um, whenever a whole a whole lot of that can be made. Like you can do a, a lot of good in $5 increments or one hour increments along the way where you're just giving of yourself. Um, and so I think that's, that can't be understated, right? Uh-huh. No, that's a great point. And that's something we can all implement in our lives no matter what. So I've always thought that's been a good point on giving. Um, you talk about faith a lot and how it's impacted you. What does faith mean to you and how has that influenced uh, your life? Yeah. So I, th- I saw a diagram one time um, drawn on a, on, a, on a big whiteboard, right? And it had, uh, had priorities, had all of our priorities. And, and number one was, you know, Christians kind of, you know, ideal priorities. Number one is God. And number two is family. And number three is work. And number four is this. And, uh, and, and I thought, well, yeah, that's kind of that's how we write it out, right? God and then this and then that and then this. And but then the, the, the guy that was teaching the lesson, he just kind of flipped the script and he said, he just erased them all and he wrote God really big and he put a big circle around it. And he said, and then he drew a line and he said family. And then he drew a line and he said finances. And then he drew a line and he said work. He said, God doesn't belong on your priority list. God is at the center of everything that you do. Mm-hmm. Like your faith is at the center of everything that you do. Your faith is what shapes your work. Your faith is what shapes your family. Your faith is what shapes your finances, your faith. So he made the, made the switch from God does not belong on a priority list. He is the priority. He's at the center and everything else comes from that. And man, that just like, that lit me up. 
that made so much sense to me in the moment because I was the God on the numbered list guy. Like that's where I was at. Well, God's here and then there's this and then there's that and there's this. Um, and so for me, my, my faith, like what I've, what I've tried to do is put my faith at the very center of everything that I am and everything that I do. And that doesn't mean that I, I necessarily carry my Bible around and hit people with it all the time. It means that the decisions that I'm going to make, whether it's, with my family or whether it's with my job or whether it's with my relationships, they're going to be motivated and driven from a place of faith. Right. And that, that to me, I think is, is where faith can really get real. Whenever God is, God is something that your faith and, and your relationship with Christ is something that's over here on the fringes that you reach into every once in a while, or that you, you, you know, you bring him in for something and then you put him over here for something else like that. That's really tough to do relationship or to do, to make faith, like a part of your life at that point. But man, whenever faith and, and that relationship with Christ is the center of your life and everything else flows out from there, man, that, that, that just changes everything. It changes the way that you perceive what God is doing in your life. It changes the way that you perceive Him in, in relationship. And it changes the way that you make decisions. Um, and so that, that to me is how I want, I want my life to look. I want it to look like God is at the very center and influencing everything that I do as opposed to me sitting over here on a priority list in my life. Yeah, no, that's, that's great. So in those times when you're looking back at your life and the decisions that you made going from, uh, you know, being in car sales and home sales and kind of adjusting into different things and looking at people and comparing, um, was God a part of those decisions to step and take leaps of faith out of those things into new ventures and to follow people that you – realized had some qualities that you wanted to implement in your own life and learn from. Um, and then obviously going to NASA, like transitioning into that, taking those big, big leaps of faith, especially the NASA one where you're leaving Tulsa, a place that you grew up and you had a lot of relationships ready. Your church was very um, important to you and the family that you had there. Uh, what you do in those moments within prayer, um, your faith, to make decisions, not just on your own, but actually having a higher power help you make those decisions. Yeah. Yeah, man. So early on, I would tell you, you know, I, I, my, my faith really grew in college that when I went down to East Central because of the people I was around. It, it really helped me a lot. And so early on in those decisions, I, I would say that they were faithful decisions, right? We were, you know, whether whether I was buying a house as opposed to finishing my degree and selling cars as opposed to staying at school, I felt like I was following God in those moments. Right. And, um, but, but things got real later in life. Like they, like they really got intense, um, in all the right ways uh, later in life. At, at one point, at one point I was at a job with an advertising firm and I was running a campaign and like I, things just things just weren't working, and so I I stepped away from the advertising agency, which was a which was a great guy, great company. I stepped away from it because I felt like it was it was time to do so, and that meant I had to find some marketing clients on my own and run a campaign, and and I didn't have a steady income. And Amanda was a nurse at the time, but but she she got sick and she had some really difficult autoimmune issues that kind of came up. And it got to a spot where she could no longer work. So now she's not working. I'm out on my own. 
we're running a campaign. We don't know if it's, if we're going to win or not. And we don't know how that's all going to play out period. And so I'm sitting there trying to figure out like, Lord, where, where, like, I don't know how I'm going to pay bills. I don't know how I'm going to do this. I don't know how I'm going to do that. And, and it got to a spot where like my only option Bailey was to trust fully that the decisions I'd made were God inspired decisions and that it was going to work. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and it did, right. It doesn't mean it wasn't incredibly painful, but it did work. Yeah. And, and so then you fast forward to making a decision like going to NASA. Well, while, while NASA is an incredible place, um, you know, Northern Virginia, the DC area is a very expensive place to live and government jobs where I, I'm very thankful for the, for the dollars that I was paid. They aren't, they aren't, you know, $300,000 a year jobs. Right. Um, so you're, you're taking a, a risk not in the certainty of the job, but the dollars that you're making and the, the cost of living. And so we were trying to put all of those things together to say, hey, is this going to work? We just had to take a step in faith. God opened all of these other doors. We had to believe that that stuff was going to take care of itself as well. And so we did, and it's worked. And so each time that we've gotten to these important decision points in my life, we've had to just step back and say, okay, what, what is the fear that's driving us here? And is the fear that's coming in, like, like the more that fear comes in, the, the more faith, like fear, faith and fear have a push-pull relationship, right? So the, the more that fear comes in and takes over, more your faith is getting pushed to the side. And so we had this, we, we, Amanda and I would have to stop and say, look, we are praying about this the wrong way. We need to change the way that we're thinking. We, we, don't, we don't make decisions from a position of fear. That's not the way that we approach life. So we're going to be faithful and trust and know that God is doing this, that he's opened these doors, that if he opens the doors and we walk through them, he's going to provide. And he always has, always has. And so I think our, our faith has impacted our decisions more and more as we've matured. Um, but man, it is incredible to see a few of those wins where you step out of faith and God shows up. It's incredible what that does for the next time you need to make that decision and take a step out. Yeah, that's so great. Well, real quick, I want to do a little fire round with you. So I'm going to, questions and i want you to just kind of finish with a few 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 words or so love is love is selfless pressure comes from within i think yeah pressure comes from within my mission is to serve others if i could do it all over again i would serve others better it all comes down to relationship uh matthew 22 right Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul, um, and love your neighbor as yourself. Awesome. Thanks. That's, we're done with the fire round. Okay. Wow. Okay. <laughs> Off the hot seat. Yeah. Um, a, few, uh, a couple ending questions I want to ask you is, how, do you, how would you like to be remembered? Oh, man. Um, I would like to be remembered as somebody that made others better. I, I think, I think if, uh, if, if my kids and my friends and, and family could say, you know, we, we're better because of, of what Gabe did uh, with his life. And I think that would be pretty incredible. Yeah. I know that I've, I've had that kind of an impact. Yeah. Is there a certain piece of best advice you've ever received? Oh, man. The best advice I've ever received. I think we probably hit on some of it today. Um, yeah. You know, this is going to sound strange, but, but – uh, Dave Jewett, when we were when we were making some of the decisions um, about coming to NASA, and I was kind of laying it out at breakfast. We used to go to BBD two over there um, 
uh, around 81st. And, and I was just kind of laying things out for him one morning. And he said, Gabe, you're right where God needs you to be. And this is completely normal. Like it's completely normal for you to feel this way. Mm-hmm. And here I was thinking, because you know, I was kind of, sh- I was laying it out for him. Like, Dave, I don't see how this is going to work. And I don't see how that's going to work. And I'm trying to process it. I can't, pro- I just don't. And he's like, Gabe, you're, you're right where you need to be. Mm-hmm. And the way you feel is normal. It's okay. Like the way that, that this is all right. And, and in that moment, it was like, well, I'm this man of faith. I'm leading people to do this. I'm leading people to do that. I should never be, how can I tell people to, to walk in faith whenever I'm nervous about things? Or I'm, oh, yeah. and, and, and so you have those, those moments of doubt. And Dave was just like, but you're right where you need to be. And this is normal. Yeah. And we'll work through it. Yeah. And so I, I thought that was an incredible, that's, those are lines that I've used with my wife and with my kids with myself um you know since those moments like we're right where we need to be and how we're feeling is normal like like this is life and now we're gonna we're gonna walk through it in faith and so i think not not making too much of situations like that to where they become fearful and and you start to make poor decisions being willing to step back and say that has me here for a reason it's okay that we feel this way we're going to walk through it and uh, that was really powerful for me in the moment sounds simple but it was really powerful. And even though it's tough to do in the moment sometimes, right? Yeah. So, yeah. What does, how would you define excellence and what does building excellence mean to you? So excellence to me is, is almost about how you do something, right? You do something with excellence. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think, you know, you look, you look, you and I, we're, we're sports guys. You know, there are people that train with excellence and then they perform with excellence, right? Mm-hmm. That doesn't necessarily be, necessarily mean that they're excellent people sometimes but they train with excellence and they perform with excellence Mm -hmm. so i think i think i I would say how do you how are you going about taking care of your family is it with excellence how are you going about your faith is it with excellence how are you going about your job is it with excellence because if you're doing each one of those things with excellence then the end result is going to be something you're very proud of will be very successful and it will probably be an excellent result Right. So I think I think we should be focused on applying excellence to everything that we do in every area that, that we get to impact as as uh, as men as, and as and women and Christ followers and husbands and wives and parents and kiddos. Like, like if you're doing life with excellence, you're, the, the results are for themselves. And so excellence to me is an approach. And, and I want to be excellent in a lot of areas. And so. Uh, a day at a time, a step at a time, right? Yeah, that's great. Well, Gabe, I just want to say thank you so much for being on the show. I know that you've given so much wisdom in these last, you know, hour, 30 minutes or so, whatever it's been. And uh, also just want to thank you for, for being a great friend to many, many people, to, for being a great mentor, to being a great father, husband, all those things. Um, you know, you're such an incredible person and you're impacting so many people. And obviously you can see why when you talk about what success means to you, um, reaching other people and giving back. So thank you so much for being on. I really appreciate it. You bet, man. You're the man. And I tell people all the time, if I was building a team, you'd be one of the first people I'd put on it. So uh, you're you're an incredible guy, and I really appreciate the time. I appreciate it. Well, thanks. Hey, everyone. It's Bailey Miles. Thanks again so much for tuning in. We hope you found value in the show. And if you enjoyed it, we would really appreciate you sharing the show with a friend subscribing on Apple or Spotify podcast, writing a quick review, or leaving a five-star rating. 
When you do that, it really helps get the message out and allows more people to hear these stories and help them build excellence in their life, leadership, and legacy. If you have any questions, thoughts, or ideas, I'd love to hear from you. You can reach out to me via email. It's bailey at baileymiles.com. Follow us on social. We're on all the different social platforms, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube. Or check out our website at baileymiles.com. Once again, I'd love to hear from you, so definitely do that. And then thanks again for joining me on this journey. And remember, life begins at the end of your comfort zone.